0: Dave Kennedy, General Manager of Jersey Sport and Incoming Chief Executive Officer of the Jersey Football Association. Sportscast Jersey, the voice of Island Sports.
1: Welcome to yet another Sportscast Jersey. On today's episode, it's a special as I talk to the newly appointed Chief Executive of Jersey FA, David Kennedy. Here is the full interview. Have you always been a sports lover from a young age? Uh,
0: definitely. I mean, I, what people at your age probably wouldn't recognise, Daniel, is that um, I was brought up in the street when it comes to developing talent in football. Uh, I've got many fond memories of being out late at night underneath a lamppost, um, something that, that probably has, as I say, alien to, to a lot of young people. But genuinely, that's how a lot of football was born uh, back in the day. Um, so... Through that, then joined my first football club in my hometown of Allowa at the age of nine. Uh, and it just went from there, really. Um, I was actually, at that time, I was also playing rugby. The, 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 the One of the guys who uh, lived on our estate was a rugby coach, and he used to take me along to the local club, which was Stirling County at the time. And when it got to the age of about 11, it had to be a choice of football or rugby. So there was only ever one... Uh, Option for me at that time, and obviously that was football, and as I've kind of went on from there, really. Um, so,
1: you know, you played rugby. Was there ever a point where you thought, Oh, I'll go for rugby rather than football? Was football always your first love?
0: Football was always my first love. Um... I was I was originally brought up in, in, in a town called Falkirk, and um, my dad was a police officer, and uh, he always used to work at the Falkirk Games, so I always was able to get in free of charge. He used to lift, lift me over the gate, and I always remember the, the sort of atmosphere. It was an old ground at the time, and um, the way in which the fans were singing and the atmosphere and the passion, and it was it was it was amazing. And I can still almost like smell it, the old bovril and pies and stuff like that, and. Uh, so, so even from way back then, it was kind of like, you know, football was always what I wanted to experience. And, and obviously I've been lucky even to this day that football is part of my life. Who were your heroes when you were growing up watching football? Uh, undoubtedly it was um, the, the Liverpool teams in the, the 70s and 80s, obviously with Kenny Dalgley, Alan Hansen, Stevie Nicol, and, 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 and them all, and Graham Souness uh, in particular was a bit of a hero of mine. He was, sort of, he was a sort of hard midfield enforcer, wasn't he? But uh, I always had a Kenny Dalglish strip, and um, I always remember uh, when I worked with the SFA in in Scotland, going back many years ago now, uh, I was fortunate enough to meet Kenny at a big event at Hamden Park, and uh, he came over to me. And uh, my my, my friend, who knew him really well, he, he played with West Ham, my friend called Neil Orr, introduced me to Kenny, and I was dumbstruck. And uh, Kenny really broke the ice, um, talking about how he had played five a side the night before and had pulled his hamstring and how, uh, how uncomfortable it was, shall I say. He, he used quite colourful language at the time, so it was a moment I'd, I'd always dreamed of happening, meeting my um, meeting my idol. So for him to do it and the way that he, he reacted to me was brilliant. And they say never meet your um, heroes, but obviously that was a good experience for yourself. Yeah, and I, I was very lucky, uh, and, and obviously over the years, just from my involvement in football, I've, I've met many good people. Um, but obviously, your idol Kenny Dalglish, Dalglish was a big one. Uh, Ali McCoist was another one of mine as well. Uh, I've been fortunate to meet him on quite a few occasions. Um, but you know, ultimately, when you're a young player and you've got those role models that you look up to uh it's, it's brilliant because it probably gives you an idea in your head as to, to what sort of footballer you want to be like i actually started out with kenny thinking i uh, i'd be that sort of midfield striker uh, majestic maestro and it albeit it was very clear from a young age that was never going to be and i ended up as a, a big lumber center half so actually alex mcleish was my idol back in the day uh, just a big sort of no-nonsense center half uh, you played
1: professional football over in scotland for a lower uh, Dunferham and Livingston how good
0: was that experience over there? It's an interesting one actually because I, I think when I look back on my, my career uh, I, I saw both sides of football I saw the real highs and the real lows of it I um, ultimately I think my professional career was more tarnished with injury than anything else but nonetheless I was fortunate enough to be involved in it but I think that that for me that I learned a lot from that and particularly around about the environment that you have to create if you want to get the best out of someone. And I always remember my first day at Dunfermline when I walked in, it was the first day of pre-season training and uh, I was nineteen at the time and I walked into the, the first team dressing room and nobody spoke to me. And I was young and I was naive and I really felt out my depth and all I wanted to happen was someone just to come over, introduce me to all the players, really make me feel welcome. Um, and just make me feel part of the team. And it never, ever happened uh, until about 15 minutes later of feeling particularly uncomfortable that someone came in and dragged me to the room next door for the reserve players where I should have went in the first place. Um, and that was equally as uncomfortable because it was all sort of first day for, for everybody else. So it, it was a lesson that I learned. And I always remember when I went over to Southampton with Jack Boyle, when Jack signed with, with Southampton. In Southampton I actually employ a driver and he picked us up from the airport but not only was this guy employed as a driver he clearly had a remit to make whoever he was picking up make him feel as on top of the world and I remember sitting in the front seat and Jack was in the back and I can remember this guy saying to him the manager's been saying really good things about you, Jack. You know, you're know you going to have a big future in the game. And you could see Jack was just absolutely made up with it. And I, I kind of think that's how I would have liked to have experienced uh, Dom Thurman at that time in my career. And um, and it's something to this day that I think creating an environment for people to get the best out of them is, is one of the biggest things that you can do in football. And do you use that now because you obviously coach in Jersey... Uh, as a stepping stone for yourself to do with your uh, players? I, I do it in football, Dan, and also do it in the workplace. I think it's really important that uh, in the workplace everybody feels valued, everybody's got a place. Um, yes, there is a, a structure in place of of management and players or in, or obviously at work, you know, employees, but everybody has to feel valued and as if you're really all achieving something together. And, you know, I've, I've done a lot of study over the years on leadership, and it's... Um, is something that, you know, really, I think can't be underestimated. And I think that if you look at football in general, if you look at people like Klopp just now, you know, what is it? What is it makes Jurgen Klopp so successful? And I think if you were to ask the players, it would be about the environment and the leader that he is. I mean, you just got to see him. Because sort of on the training ground, is it every day? He'll shake everybody's hand. He'll he'll put his arm around people. You can just see they want to play for him. You know, the ability is one thing, but actually getting people in the right frame of mind is another one, and you know that's something that, as I say, throughout my work career as well, I've always wanted to achieve. Yeah. Um, what was your outstanding highlight as a professional footballer? Uh, probably because I was lower league, there wasn't too many, <laughs> I was yeah. because of my injuries as well. I think probably I, I would have to look back at it and say my fondest memory was actually my um, my, my debut with Dunfermline. Uh, they were in the first division at the time, the old first division, and uh, I had went in pre-season and, and I felt incredibly fit. It was the first time I'd actually taken part in a full-time environment for pre-season. I was fit as a fiddle, and I got the call for the first pre-season game, and it was actually it was in, it was against second division Montrose, and I can remember warming up uh, at the time, and I still probably wasn't. Uh, part of the group then. I still had to prove myself on the pitch, and always just remember that um, the the, the Tanoi announcing the team, and uh, you know some good professionals in, in that Don team at the time I ended mean, up coming second in the league actually, but just for me to um, to, to be mentioned alongside that, I just remember this massive lump in my throat that I got. You know, it was like goalkeeper was a guy called Ian Westwater who was who was a larger life character. Um, Actually, right back that day was Jackie McNamara, uh, who obviously went on to play with Celtic in Scotland. And then I was left back at the time. Um, so that, it was just a kind of realisation that actually for all I've wanted to achieve, I'm, I'm, I'm just about there. Yeah. As it was, ironically, I got taken off at time because I had a shocker. But um, I think in terms of the highlights, it's, it's, it's just was getting there in and, and all honesty. The, kind of the career from there, as I say, the injuries that I had probably marred uh, what I hoped would have been a much better career. But through that side of things, I think you learn a lot about yourself. And again, taking that into coaching and managing, which I did at a young age because my injuries were just too much, um, I think that my experience of the professional game uh, held me in good stead. I always remember little, you know, just little snippets of information that good managers gave me over the day. Um, I remember playing with Livingston, and and, and the manager at the time was a larger life character called Jim Leishman. And uh, he he was a bit of a mentor to me, actually, um, when when I left Livingston. Um, He he, he was was well known for his sort of man management style. And I remember playing in a game, in a pre-season game, and I was up against a, a shall we call it a sort of seasoned professional who was sort of mid-30s and this guy was huge and he was he was kicking me about the park despite the fact that i was center half he was absolutely bullying me i just went into half time and the manager didn't didn't kind of go off his head which he he would every now and again he just went david he said you're at a very early stage of your professional football career if you genuinely want to do better in your career you have to be better than that yeah. and it was it, it just it, it was logical it was common sense it struck a chord with me, and, and I can remember going out second half and smashing the guy a few times, and I, I was just a different player. But so just little bits of information like that—that that there's no airs and graces about it. It's not, you know, huge psychology, and it's, it's just that's probably one example of many examples that I try to bring into my coaching now. Um,
1: when you did retire, how hard was it to hang up those boots?
0: Uh, it probably wasn't. Uh, if, if I've got to be brutally honest, I think that I had started my coaching badges at um, the age of about twenty. I think it was. I, I was doing coaching. I was taking uh, sort of central region uh, sort of development squads, and uh, I was starting to do quite a, even some of the holiday courses for the local councils and stuff like that. Um, but because of the injuries, I was always sort of thinking ahead anyway. So when it came to me just kind of realising that I wasn't going to be playing at that level, um, I stepped back and, and, and I probably had more of a career at semi-professional, um, which I, w- I was probably better suited to, if I've got to be honest. I always remember Jim Leishman talking about me at, at an after dinner speech and, it, and he just said that I was a pitch and a putt off of being a good player. Uh, and probably that was as good an analogy as I could probably give of myself. Um, but... You know, the semi-professional game allowed me still to uh, fuel my competitive nature, which I am. I'm hugely competitive. Um, But I kind of got the coaching bug, uh, you know, big time. And I remember uh, going, I I was putting a lot of hours in. I mean, I was working probably six days a week. Most of it as a volunteer, just really sort of learning my trade. By that time, I'd had a, a mentor and a guy that was probably the most hugely influential guy in my football career, a guy called Hugh McCann. Who was—he uh, he was almost like a football professor, but he, he had a good career here in, in, in Scottish football. But he really took me under his wing, and I learned an awful lot from him. And um, so, when I actually came to to being employed in football as, as a development officer, I felt I had a good pedigree. Uh, I remember even going down to um, to, to Largs, which is, is the sort of Scottish Institute of Sport, and doing some of the coaching licences, and always feeling that. I was a step ahead of some of the guys who had just come out of football. Um, Actually, I can remember doing my B license with Gordon Jury, Dave Bowman, both Scottish internationalists, and you could see that whilst they had a really good uh, playing career behind them, actually coaching, they were still a million miles off where it needed to be. Where I had really focused a lot on the coaching, I had focused on the mythology of coaching, focused on the leadership requirements within coaching. Um, And I just felt that actually I was was probably where I was destined to be going. Um,
1: You touched on it. You spent some time as a football development officer in Midlovian. Um, What did
0: you learn from that experience? Well, that was my first time of managing people and and, and paid employees in football. And um, probably what I learned most about it was, was kind of going back to what I was saying earlier about actually to get the best out of people and, and how you treat people and and how you motivate people um <clears throat> to ensure that your passion and your 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 standards that you have within the game are, are are able to be passed on to those that that work for you and not everybody can do that uh, but i felt that it was something that i was actually quite good at i think that i would and i would hope that the that people that's worked for me over the years particularly at that time um, will say that they were better because of it. Uh, I actually saw some of my coaches who have now went on to have a a career as professional coaching um, and and are now club managers in Scotland. So, you know, I think that I had a part to play in that. So, you know, it's it's all stuff that I'm, I'm really quite proud of because... Until such times as you're in that situation where you're basically managing, I had about 15 to 20 20 guys working for me at the time. If you've never done that before, then you're really just winging it. But actually, I felt that the culture I created and the opportunities for development um, and making sure that they were always learning and improving, I, I felt I was really good at that. You moved to Jersey in
1: 2005. How hard was it moving away from Scotland and coming to
0: a completely new alien place? Um, Yeah, I mean, it was hard, actually. At the time, uh, I was due to take on a new role. Um, They were looking for a development officer in in the highlands and islands of Scotland, actually, which uh, there hadn't been a great deal of development, and that would have been a really intriguing role for me. Uh, But it's an area of Scotland I love, and I thought, actually, go up there with a blank sheet of paper and you can put all sorts of of programmes. And um, when I came over to Jersey... I think that, first of all, I, I love Jersey as an island. Didn't know a great deal about the football, I'll be honest with you. It was a bit of a leap of faith for me. Um, but I just sensed that Jersey was a kind of place that if you want to get your head down and work hard and, and bring your own skills to it, then actually would be an opportunity for development. And, and ultimately, that was, that was the case for me. But um, without knowing too much about football in Ireland, I think actually in my first visit here, uh, it's when I first hooked up with Brian Oliver and uh, Brian kindly took me around all the facilities here and I thought, wow, football is in a good place here if that's the quality of the facilities. And I still couldn't believe it. they had the nets up for throughout the year and that just doesn't happen in Scotland. They would have been ripped down ages ago. Um, but obviously without knowing too much about the standard at the time, I thought, clearly there's a good infrastructure in here. And I was on that same visit, I thought, right, I'll, go and, I'll go and find a game somewhere. And, and I genuinely didn't know anything about football and I, I jumped on a bus and I went to St. Clement's. Um, and without sort of knowing who St. Clements were and, and what sort of level it were at, I went. And I think I was about one of four people standing watching the game. So my first impressions were a, b- a bit bleak. Uh, and unknown to me, actually, it was a C team game. So <laughs> it was kinda, I was a bit worried that this was a sort of standard in, in, in Jersey, but obviously that was, you know, maybe not the best introduction to Jersey football. But. Um, yeah, and, and, and see, undoubtedly, I, I just knew that, that football was w- was clearly thriving here at the time, and I thought there must be opportunities, and, and, and clearly that worked out for me. Um, you spent
1: some time with the states actually in various roles. How good was it having
0: an influence on sport so early coming over? I mean, that was really important for me, and I, and I think that as I go back to it, my philosophy has always been about trying to develop people, trying to develop. Programs, just making sure that there's ongoing improvements. Um, and I was lucky in that when I came over to Jersey initially, uh, I, I, I brought over basically a number of programmes that had been delivering in Scotland. So uh, you might not remember us, Dan, but in 2005 there, were, there was quite a bit of um so i call it anti behavior uh around about jersey at the time of young people uh, at that time there was about 1500 calls to police regarding young people i mean it was you know a very different time then whether it be up at the kennedy or whether it be um down at the uh, liberation square so uh, I, I brought over projects like the late, the late night leagues up at the kennedy and 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 the, the results were quite dramatic and just it, it hopefully it highlighted to people that actually sport and physical activity has got such a part to play in society and I was able to to build on that and and just continue to develop programs and that sort of just it almost grew organically really um, that from even from a sports development department at the time of which there was only three of us full-time that to then look at that years later which even to this day there's eleven full-time employees I think that you know I'm proud of the fact that throughout all of those years that I developed programs that ultimately required someone to come and take it on full-time and develop it further so that's always what I've been about and it's, it's my sort of philosophy that which I will continue to take to to the Football Association
1: would you say Jersey as a whole is an active island
0: Um I wouldn't say as a whole. I think that it is much more active than than places uh, that I have lived in the past. Uh, I think there is good infrastructure in places and not in others. Um, But, you know, as someone who, uh, you know, go for walks regularly, I take the bike out regularly, I look along the front, and it's a really busy front from people walking and cycling, and I think it's it's great. But I think undoubtedly there are people on the the island who do have barriers to even just getting out of the house and going for a walk and... Um, and, and looking after themselves, both physically and mentally, and, and, and ultimately that's been the the role of Jersey Sport since since we came in to look at the physical activity element of of what we do, and, and that's why we developed the the Move More campaign because we're not just about sport; it's very much about physical activity and looking at the barriers to that. So it's um, there is a lot of work to be done. Uh, I think that you know, what we do know is in Jersey that. If, if, if you are looking to develop a programme and and you can, you can genuinely demonstrate the impact of what is going to happen within that programme, then I think that people will back you with sponsorship and and you know we've seen that here at Jersey Sport which has been brilliant, um, and it's and again it's something that when I take over at the FA you know and I've already spoken to a few of the staff and talking about you know let's see that if we can demonstrate the impact of all of this good work that's going on and, and getting the community to buy into even more. You managed
1: three Marattis, You won three Marathis. How good is that record for you? And who do you remember coaching and really stood out at the time?
0: Oh, goodness. Um, I mean, firstly, I, I, I love the Marattis. I did to this day. And it was actually uh, when I got offered to take on the 21s again this year, I, I just thought it would be great just to get back in the dugout in a Marathi. And that, uh, they're amazing. They're, uh, you know, as an event, they're, 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 they're just incredible um, after my experience of going down and, um, and seeing the St Clement's Sea team game actually um, I came back over and, and um, I went to the Marathi, that was my next game so that was my sort of introduction to Marathi's actually uh, and by that time I'd met Pat Brennan uh, who had uh, before the Marathi had organised for, for a lot of Scottish guys to go out and, and have a couple of drinks before we went to the game itself and uh, and I remember turning up to um, to the stadium and thinking, "Wow, this is this is what it's about." It was brilliant, and, you know. You could see the passion and from both sides. Um, and I thought, "Yeah, this is great. I'd, I'd really like to be sort of part of this." So uh, when when I got offered Island manager's job, it was um, didn't have to think about it too long. I thought, "If I've got the opportunity to sort of lead the team in, in these sort of fixtures, then then it's going to be an exciting job." And um, I always, if I've got to be honest, I always preferred going over to Guernsey for them. Uh, I think it's always good being people in their own backyard, um, and actually the the sort the, of the, the funny story of the last one that, that over in Guernsey was that uh, before the game someone put a stink bomb in the window of the changing room, yeah. and actually it was the best thing that happened to us because what I did I just did a team talk out in the pitch in front of probably about two thousand Guernsey supporters, yeah. and it, and and it gave them the opportunity for those punters to see actually you know what we are pumped up and ready to go for this and if you think that you're going to put a spanner on our works it's not going to happen and actually we played really well that day and it just everything about it just clicked into place so uh, they're great occasions and that's and i'm, I'm looking forward to 21's um th- this uh this season because it, if you can't enjoy maratis and you shouldn't be involved in football yeah. they're great occasions
1: you mentioned the players showing the passion do you notice a passion from the crowds as well, just how how important that game is for them?
0: Yeah, I mean, and, and to be honest, with you, it's not unusual to me, obviously. I, I, from myself, there was a Scottish and English passion that, you know, we were, we were more underdogs than anything else. But that's local rivalry for you. and That's 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 the beauty of football, isn't it? That, that, that you can put on events like that where you can come along and demonstrate your local passion. And I was very lucky over the years that I... I had groups of players that showed that passion, you know, and uh, people like Stuart Andre, James Scott, um, absolute leaders, you know, Mark Brown, David Brodie at the time. Uh, I actually brought David Brodie back for my last Maratti, and he was he was fantastic. And but that I think he was about forty-two at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, just, uh, I just I was very very fortunate that for my management style back then that um, those players seemed to respond to that. Um, so. You know, just that's the sort of stuff that I look back at and I'm I'm really, really proud at. And and hopefully a majority of the players that would have played for me would have recognised my passion and and, and that I really wanted to get that passion across to them.
1: You're also a qualified coach in rugby, cricket and athletics as well as a strength and conditioning coach. Um, Is leading coaching something that, like you said, you started early? Was it something that you're always going to do, always something that you
0: looked forward to? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that with, the, with other sports, uh, the, probably the driver for me in, in, in taking those qualifications was I wanted to see if I got an edge in my football coaching. I wanted to see what other people were doing in coach education and just looking to pick up little nuggets of information that actually you think you could bring back. And I think that's something that you know not enough people do, is, is they open their minds to, to other sports and see what's going on. Um, because it can only be a positive and you know, there's certainly that has been the case and, and I remember doing the rugby level one and um, tactically the game actually wasn't too dissimilar to, to football in a lot of regards and I can remember coaching things like 3v2 in a rugby um, rugby situation in my coach head and I thought yeah, you know what, this is just very very similar to football but the sort of philosophies and how they did it uh, were slightly different to, to football so as I say it was, it was an insight and Obviously, there's been other ones like athletics and the strength and conditioning, which, you know, I'd always wanted to bring into to football anyway. Strength and conditioning being the main one, but even in terms of athletics, I think it was important that, you know, recognised actually technically how young players should be running, uh, and it's probably something that is is, is underestimated. Um, and you know, always remember like old managers like uh, Bob Play- Bob Paisley at Liverpool. You know, he he. he he valued a lot of that stuff about opening his mind and and you know looking at how players ran, how they jumped, and, and this was before ever anybody knew what physical literacy was back in the day. He just sensed it and that they, they needed to do things a little bit differently. So that's basically why I, why I sort of opened myself up to just doing another other coaching qualifications.
1: Last week it got announced that you're you've been appointed JFA chief executive. Um, did you think you'd get the
0: job when you applied for it? Oh, goodness. Um, I think I, my experience in interviews in the past, uh, and I haven't had too many of them, is that you've got to believe that when you're going to a job that you are the best person for it. Because if you don't, I think the interview panel always picks up on that. So I think that you need to ensure that your confidence is backed up with that knowledge and understanding of what the job entails. Um, so when I went into the interview, I felt that I'd interviewed really well. I, I put forward a vision. Uh, that I felt was appropriate to move the association uh, forward for the next ten years. Um, I think that was endorsed by the, the the panel at the time. But you never ever know. You know, you, you just don't know what sort of fit that any interview panel wants for for their organisation. So uh, you're more hopeful than anything else. But as I say, going into it, uh, I had a level of confidence just because I know what I can deliver, uh, and and obviously very fortunate in the fact that they re- they recognised that as well and offered me the job.
1: What are your main aims uh, that you want to achieve when you do
0: take over from John Luke? I mean, uh, it's, it's a difficult one to, to answer almost at an operational level because um, I think, first of all, we've got to put together almost a 10 year strategy of what we see football looking like. Um, the FA are doing a lot of good stuff on that just now, and it's important that we endorse what the FA are doing because, as an organisation, they are actually, in my opinion, um, a long way ahead of other national governing bodies because of the, the, just the sheer size of the organisation and the funding that they have to do the levels of research and the infrastructure they're able to give you. But I think that ultimately what I also want to do is that I want to ensure that the, the organisation or the, the, the brand of jersey football continues to grow. Um, I've said it before that I think that if we're going to really provide football for all and we should be doing much more. Uh, that's not easy just now with the resource that we have. Uh, we've got amazing staff in at the Jersey FA that I'm really looking forward to um, to working with. I think we need to see, look at almost growing the business now, we can bring more people in to deliver a lot of those programmes. I think then there's the, probably the other side of it as well, is, is ensuring that the games programmes that we have in place for all age groups uh, is something that all players aspire to. Um, what that looks like, uh, we'll probably, you know, and I've already started a dialogue with Martin at the um, at the senior side of things. But, um, you know, I kind of want to ensure that Jersey football is in a really strong place that the whole community can buy into. Because if you can do that, then it's going to be beneficial for, you know, all of society. It's going to be beneficial for our senior teams, which whilst I focus on them probably because they're on the back pages, they'll be equally as important for for younger players. Um,
1: you said about the community, there's been mixed feedback over Springfield over the last few years about the so called cage. Um, is there going to be any changes on that
0: front? Uh, well, I mean, uh, I remember uh, the, the first Marathi that was there, and I was standing behind the goals, and I didn't like it. Yeah. I, uh, I actually left at half time, mm. I didn't think it was much of a spectacle. Um, and I can I can genuinely see why this year they've, they've put the stand over the far side. and I think that will be be beneficial. I think in terms of the cage, there's obviously there's two options. I think that uh, one of them actually is what they have over in Guernsey. At, um, I think it's at King George V Park, is it? That, that they've actually they've taken away part of the fencing, which is around about head height, that actually allows people to get much closer to the pitch. And I think that'd be one option. Hopefully, one it wouldn't be too expensive. Um, the second one is that you actually move the fence itself back to allow the crowd in uh, much closer to the game i think that you know if, if we're going to develop uh, the brand to get people back into coming to the Marathis, then the atmosphere needs to be right and uh, i'm well aware of that and it's something that we're going to have to look at because you know we're, we're we're doing i think we're doing the right thing this year uh, but what that looks like in years to come we'll, we'll have to review it
1: there's also the Bulls and um Powerfield jersey just coming to light this season. Um, is that going to be something that's going to be positive for you and the JFA in the future?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think we all want the same thing. And that is a good games programme for the, the Island's better players. And Undoubtedly, the Bulls have went a long way in doing that this year eh, to provide the opportunity for, for, for the guys to be playing in England and you know, playing in grounds that they've never played before, playing against teams that's got a different approach to it. Um, and, and already in my capacity as under-21 manager, I see the benefits of that, some of the young players that are involved in that. But also as well, what it's done for local football, is, I think it's given more opportunity for some of the younger players to play first-team football that might not necessarily have done that. So it's been, it's been a huge positive. Um, but as Island manager, I, I know back in the day how I really valued... A meaningful games program, and it's important that we have that. It's important it's coordinated. Um, obviously, I mean, James uh, Scott and James Bor are very good friends of mine, and, and I speak to them regularly. And we'll sit down with them and look at what the future plans are for the Canifa. Um I think that certainly the games program for the rep side has moved on considerably since I was the, the manager, and that we've now got the county FA. Uh, Martin's doing really well in the league systems cup. I mean, you know, it'd, it'd be brilliant if, if we continue to, to do well in that competition. Um, and then, you know, I've already started a dialogue with Martin about you know, sort of almost the wraparound um, friendlies that we can put in place for that. But as I say, ultimately, we all want the same thing. And, and it, as I say, it needs to be a games programme that will inspire the next generation of, of players that's coming through.
1: Is it important that you keep the communities uh, in place going, such as Centre of Excellence for the Youth? Um, the recently introduced walking football leagues Is it, are these sort of things something that you want to keep and further improve?
0: Definitely it's something I want to build on um, and it was when I, when I, was, I was interviewed with the, the Jersey FA, it was very much about growing programmes and bringing people back in so you, you spoke about the walking football there Dan and you know it's a great programme that has been delivered up and down the UK and it's attracting people back to the game and that can only be um, great and I think that the way I see it is that if you can build your business, then you'll bring people back to the game. And what I mean by that is, that if we use walking football as an example, the benefits of walking football are pretty clear. Physically, for people of my generation, maybe just a little bit older, that to be getting out and getting a, you know back into football would be great you know, physically, but probably more importantly, mentally, for a lot of people, uh, to get them out of the house, to reconnect with a game that they loved in the past that have maybe found themselves much more sedentary um, than than they should be at that particular age, then there's a mental health impact on that as well. So what I said th- to, to, the, to the Jersey FA is that what we need to do is ensure that we we'll look at the barriers to participation. And if it is about mental health, and we really need to understand that and look at how football can play a massive part in improving that mental health or physical health and if we use that as a start point that we're able to demonstrate the impact of what football can do in Ireland then undoubtedly you'll get more people buying into football so my aspiration for for the association is that in the five years it's a very well respected institution in Ireland that is more than just the game of football that people recognize that actually football is really important on this island for a number of different reasons and it's not just about the good stuff, the Marathis, the centre of excellence and everything else that we've spoken about. It's all amazing stuff. But actually it's much, much wider than that. And if we can do that, then ultimately as a business we will grow uh, and, and keep football at the forefront of local life.
1: A big thank you to David for his time. I wish him all of the best in his new role. I am sure that he is going to do a superb job. Make sure you all get down to Springfield on Saturday to watch your Jersey FA in the quarter final. If you would like to sponsor Sportscast Jersey, please do get in contact at dpasport19 at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to Sportscast Jersey. Leave any comments or feedback under the post. I would love to hear from you. And if you want to be interviewed, just get in contact. Thank you and see you next time.
0: Sportscast Jersey, the voice of violent sport.